0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another session of Radio Finance, uh, except that in this session, uh, my guest, uh, Scott Shea, uh, the chairman and founder of uh, Signature Bank in New York, is way out there in New York, and it's lunchtime New York time, and I'm here at right about midnight uh, uh, in China. I'm actually traveling in China at this time, uh, and uh, we needed to do this uh, this conversation uh, for a number of important reasons. Uh, I think. Uh, Signature Bank has caught the attention uh, of many analysts around the world uh, for the way in which you are um, incredibly uh, deeply involved uh, in decentralized finance if it were Uh, and and, uh, from a traditional commercial uh, banking basis. We're going to cover um, uh, a lot about what Signature Bank is, uh, the essence of it as an institution uh, and also your your sense of where finance is going and how that's going to shape up. I came across three of the books that you've written. Um, in Good Faith, Getting Our Groove Back. That's a very groovy title for a Jewish uh, religious book, right? right? So it's like uh, you're trying to be contemporary, I guess. But I read, I did read um, uh, In Good Faith. Um, and the sense I got was here you are a commercial banker with venture capital, corporate finance background way back in your past. Uh, Having started a commercial bank and in this book, uh, In Good Faith, um, you were trying to be equimanical about your Jewish faith. You were very inclusive uh, um, in the way that you've uh, described uh, the the areas in which the Jewish faith shares with other religions, uh, Christianity, Islam and so on. Uh, And yet you you went back to being very uh, conservative, uh, if I I would say so. You spent a lot of time describing idolatry and trying to uh, make it contemporary in a way that we see idolatry in in contemporary uh, areas and so on. now, I, I want to sort of get a sense. Are you a conservative man or are you left liberal sort of a guy? I only ask this because y- you probably have the same struggles in finance because here you are running a good commercial bank uh, and and your clients are, are players who are going to be redefining digital finance and so on. So give us a sense of who you are. Yeah. My background is this. I'm the first
1: person on either side of my family to go to college. Uh, my father was a Holocaust survivor, as you know from the book. And he spent his life recognizing that it was a whole bunch of miracles that got him from Svection, Lithuania, to be able to get to Chicago and and get married and have a son. So I've lived my life sort of grounded in that in taking nothing for granted um, in knowing that there's great good in the world and there's sadly, unfortunately, great Possibility for evil in the world, and I, I that that's part of my was part of my upbringing. It was part of how I grew up. Um, so I consider myself really a centrist. I consider myself, you know, part of the broad spectrum center, which gets people on all sides pretty angry because these days more and more people are true believers, and I'm a real believer in looking at the facts. And trying to solve problems. One of the things that I think is totally underestimated in the world, and and you know this from my from the book, is just the simple concept of the golden rule. Don't do what is to hate, don't do unto someone else what would be hateful or you wouldn't like if it were done to you. Treat people the way you would like to be treated. And I think if people could get away from, you know, a lot of big theories and, and the like and, and concepts and class warfare and, and, and the like, and just think about how do we treat the other person we encounter fairly? We can make the world a really much, a much better place. You touched on idolatry. I do spend a lot of time on idolatry in the book and in thinking about it in my life, because, you know, we think that we licked the old fashioned idolatry many, many thousands of years ago.
0: Right.
1: But in reality, people don't get what idolatry is really about. Idolatry is simply this it's ascribing super authority or superpowers to finite beings, people, ideologies, or um, in the old days, animals, not so much anymore, but, We had the whole 20th century be a catalog of God, King, Pharaohs, the same way that the ancient Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, you know, how did he survive? He used poetry, pageantry, power um, of secret police and informers to get whatever he wanted to do. What he said was truth was truth. And if you disagreed, you were dead or you were canceled or you were out. Um, and we had that in, unfortunately, the 20th century. Look at the, the parade of Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, the Assad family, the Kim family. Um, I could go Hitler, of course. I could go on and on. These are people who were God-King pharaohs who did whatever they did because they were ascribed superpowers, super authority. Look at, look at Stalin. He starved the court of the Ukraine. He killed all the kulaks. He sent tens of millions to the gulag. And nobody ever questioned him. Nobody ever assumed he didn't have the authority to do that. So he wasn't living by the golden rule. He wouldn't want to send himself to the gulag or starve himself. And if you just get down to those little, to the the person to person interaction, I think this world would be such a better place. And so that's what I try to live by personally and business wise as
0: well. I hope that the people watching this, uh, this conversation will re- read your books and, and get that part of your personality, the dimensions that you're thinking about. And all of that that you've just explained uh, actually applies in everything. Like you, you have the, the global issues today and, and in finance, this whole thing about crypto and, and, and traditional finance and so on. But somehow, you've like you've done in your book, you, you've sort of embraced the challenges that have uh, that you're faced with, and you've tried to sort of incorporate that uh, into a traditional institution. Uh, in fact, I've been coming to New York every year, and, and I've been sitting with people who who, who you know, uh, and they've been telling me they've been sitting at the board of Signature, and I never once said, stopped to ask, what is Signature Bank? Until <laughs> uh, last year, when I realized that there were three American banks, U.S. banks that were going up on the stock market, right? And you've done very well since October, 70 something dollars and now $250. Uh, and the other two banks, uh, you know, uh, First Citizen uh, and uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, the three of you, uh, we can see you from all the way here. You're, you're on our radar screen now. Um, and at first I thought it was because you were tied to Something to do with technology or innovation and stuff like that. But when I looked into your balance sheet, uh, you're a good old-fashioned bank, um, you know, with 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 good old-fashioned customers. Um, you know, so uh, talk us through a little bit of the of the journey you've taken and, and profile as the institution, uh, your your loan book, your customer base, um, and at which point does this uh, DeFi type of uh, universe fit into your to your overall strategy? First let me just give you a background on Signature Bank because you you
1: scheduled this call for literally the perfect time. It was April 27th, 2001, that um, we held the opening party, if you will, for the beginning of the bank. We opened our doors on May 1st. Uh, That's when we went literally 24 by seven. And May 1st is our 20th anniversary of our actual opening. And we were working 24 (laughs) by seven to open the bank. And we opened the bank. We had $42.5 million in capital. We had total assets was $50 million. And you know what? We broke even in 21 months. We went public in 34 months. And I'm so proud to say that we were one of the few banks in the United States, actually the only bank above $4 billion in the United States, never to have a down year, never to report a loss during the financial crisis. We made more money in 08 than 07, more money in 09 than 08, etc. That's because we always were really focused on what does the client want? The clients want two things. In, they want sleep at night safety. That's why we always had a tremendous percentage of our balance sheet and low rate, really boring assets that that, that we don't have to worry about. People can sleep at night. And the second is just figuring out how can we help the client make more money? So it's really putting ourselves in the eye of the other. And that was the central idea of starting Signature Bank because there were plenty of banks in New York. We're the only bank that really started from scratch That said, we're going to really be business client oriented. So we're not retail, which is why most people haven't heard of us. But we are very, very much client oriented. And so we've never done an acquisition, ever. Every client of the bank who wanted to come into the bank decided they were going to open an account here on their lonesome. We didn't acquire, you know, any other banks where suddenly we had those clients and we were trying to, uh, you know, acculturate or accumulate it. we had to convince everybody to come in. And that is sort of how we got to the crypto journey. And
0: I can talk to you about that if, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just trying to draw a story like to, to where you are today. So now do I get a sense that your clients are high worth small business Um, owners family offices you know something close to like a private bank would be in Europe Um, and then uh, because you were close to them you you sort of were able to hold your asset book well in fact you did very well last year which is surprising because of everything that's been happening in New York Um, you know so you know a little bit more about your clients and the journey that they've taken you on. So what the idea
1: of the bank was is that there's this whole group of people in the middle, people and companies in the middle that were not getting the attention they should be getting. And so we focused on them. Our average size of, of loan really has primarily been about five million, six million dollars. so not huge. They're not, we're not a, a European private bank either. We're really not. We are a bank for business, probably 90% plus right now as we sit here of our accounts, our business accounts, or organization accounts, or municipal accounts or something else. They're not retail accounts. So we may bank the CEO and the senior management and the owners and the family that owns the company but we are not focused on classic private banking. We do some, and we're proud of what we do, but our, we really lead with the business. So, And we focus on specialized clients. So that's the middle market. We also focus on mortgage servicing. We focus on fund banking. But again, these are to the businesses. They're not to the consumer direct at this point. And, and so look, it's worked well for us because we started from 50 million. In December 31st, 2019, we were 49 billion. And in in and you know, and currently we're over 80 billion. You know, and that's it's and it's again, all clients have walked in and said, I want to
0: be a client of signature
1: bank. So
0: we're working on huh? it. I know. Uh, it's the fact that a, a good old commercial banking story can still flourish today. Uh, uh, you know, there, there are obviously pockets of needs that, uh, that, that a bank like yours is, uh, is meeting. Uh, question. Um, I noticed that your non-interest in- income is kind of small for a commercial bank. Uh, given the fact that your own background has been in corporate finance type of activities, and then you're you're saying that yep. you're helping lots of businesses, right? So I would imagine that some of that would be corporate finance related, but that's not showing up in your non, non-interest income. So give us a profile of the, of the income, you know, uh, the
1: book. Well, our non-interest income is growing, but you're right. It is relatively lower than most of our peers. But the thing that differentiates us and the reason it's lower is because a lot of our clients have substantial demand deposits with us, which are no interest. So we have over 30% of our business book actually overall are non-interest bearing. So to a certain degree, people are providing us with those non-interest bearing and are offsetting what would otherwise be fees. And that's what clients want. To a certain degree, they'd rather park money and not be hit with this fee, that fee, the other fee, just let me leave some money and don't charge me fees. And, and people are happier with that. And again, it's by listening to the client, whereas we have the view, and here's the thing that differentiates us, and if you read any of our material, we're a single point of contact, is that in many, many other banks, you've got the I don't know. Cash management is a profit center. FX is a profit center. Mortgages are a profit center. This is a profit center. We're all We don't do that. We have only one profit center, the private client group. So the private client group and say, you know what, because you've got this, that, or the other accounts, we can make judgments about fees. Now, we're not giving it away. You know, is someone can open a small account and expect to have fees waived, but if you're substantial and you have enough with us that makes it worth, frankly, our while, then that's what clients want. Despite the fact that my background was investment banking and I was an M&A banker for a while, for a good long while, um, and in private equity, we don't do corporate finance investment banking. So we've really stuck to our knitting because also one thing that we've heard from clients is they don't particularly like that conflict so much.
0: It's a temptation that you've avoided and. Uh... You know, and it's worked well for you. Uh, It's worked well for a number of small banks, but somewhat like, you know, at the point that you grow a little bigger, um, I don't know if the temptation comes through. Probably because you have a business focus, uh, it must be that your clients have been growing themselves uh, quite a lot. So uh, you've been been, um, servicing clients who essentially have been successful in the business. You know, and and I've heard a few banks uh, sort of have that kind of a focus.
1: Look, we're we're not trying to model ourselves over other banks. I mean, today, yesterday, there was a merger and people asked us, well, what does that mean for you? And the truth of the matter is, we're less interested in what other banks are doing than what our clients are thinking. I mean, honestly, when I get up in the morning and when my head hits the pillow at night, I'm not really thinking as much about what our competitors are doing as much as how can we make our clients make more money? And, and if we can do that, how can we make them happier? How can we make them make more money or help them make more money? How can we make them help them not worry about banking, pay less for transfers? And that's really what we're doing. I think if you focus less on your competitors and more on how to make the client happy, you're going to be more
0: successful, frankly. And it's good to know that uh, banks like, your, like yours that have a story to tell in that way. Now, talk to us. Uh, on your crypto story, um, there's a lot to learn for the rest of the world because I think around the world, many banks have sort of stayed away from crypto and you know, stayed away from even taking on deposits of crypto players. What you're learning in, in your crypto business is absolutely important for ev- just about every commercial bank around the world uh, because as you add your customer base, uh, there's this thing called the network effect in, in the crypto universe. Uh, And you're obviously a beneficiary of that. uh, And I want to be able to capture a little bit of that story. Um, Now, at which point did you get, become interested in servicing crypto? And that's why I started this conversation by, you know, talking about your books, for example, because I just wanted to get the the philosophical orientation, the the, the values that you have that that got you into um, being one of the few banks in the US that actually accepts crypto customers. If we just looked at what other banks were doing, we wouldn't be
1: accepting crypto customers, crypto clients. By the way, we don't use the term customers at the bank um, because we think we want to treat everybody like a client, someone as a a counterparty that we can help make better um, and work with and partner with. We didn't start by thinking, what are other banks doing? We started by thinking, what is going on with this arena, in this arena? What can we do to make it better? Maybe there's nothing we can do to make things better, in which case uh, there's no role for us. And that happens. You know, we look at certain opportunities and we say there's no, opp- there's no place for us. But here and early on, I had been thinking about this. If you go back and Google it, um, I had written an article, I think in 2012, 2013, about the cashless society I was already thinking at the time about CBDC, about, about central bank digital currencies. Um, I was thinking about the notion of trust, because when you really think about it, what happened in 2008 was a breakdown in trust. That's what caused the fundamental. I mean, I we could talk forever about the more proximate causes of the financial crisis, but in Reality, the mortgage crisis came because people didn't give trust appropriately. People mislead, mis- mistrusted and misled, on, misled other people in terms of values of mortgages. And this is at every single level from the rating agencies who were giving what should have been rated junk bonds AAA. And ultimately, they, they, they had to fix them from underwriters who were just waving through mortgages And not checking from even consumers who were saying they were buying a single family residence when, you know, to live in when maybe they are when they were buying 11 of those to take advantage. From Fannie and Freddie, who were who should have been the adults in the room who were closing their eyes to things, to the underwriters on Wall Street, who some of them, you know, sort of kind of knew what was going on as this later come out, and Everybody was abusing essentially their trust. So to me, it's not, it wasn't, um, cr- it wasn't a- as much of a mystery that the 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 pseudonymous uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto said, "How can we get rid of having to trust these people because these people don't seem so trustworthy? How can we create a trust?" A, a, a crowdsourced sense of trust. So that was intriguing to me. Uh, and so I began to, again, early on, study what the blockchain was all about. And um, we looked at it a lot. Um, you know, obviously, those were the early, early years. Um, I think at the time, regulators were still pretty... Um, skeptical let me say that i think that's a fair you know at the time i think obviously they become less so but still are a little skeptical um people i don't think recognize the opportunities about where cryptocurrency would would take Trust and and transfer. You know, Adam Smith made this point in um, in Wealth of Nations. Fundamentally, what differentiates us humans in society from the rest of living animal beings is that we can make a trusting transaction between the two of us. I mean, I can give you something; it's a coin, it's something of value, and you'll give me something back. Um, and fa- famously. Um, Adam Smith says uh, he never witnessed a dog making a fair commercial exchange. Because that's not that's not part of the capability. But we as humans can make fair exchanges. But if what we're exchanging fundamentally, if we don't trust, I don't trust what you're giving me is 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 a value. And then I can, of course, make the determination if what I'm giving you, you, you we can both make the determination if that's a fair trade, then we're in deep. We're in deep problems as society. Now, like every human-made innovation, cryptocurrencies have pluses and minuses, and they have uh, they have good things and bad things. And so, we recognized that for the first at, from the get go, and wanted to be helpful. And so, we came up with this notion of of Cignette. But before we get there, I'd like to, if I could take another moment or so, because I think we need, I think listeners need to understand the spectrum. When I say opportunities and threats, I don't think people mostly get the spec, that they're all on the same, you know, wavelength. So at the one hand, you can have a cryptocurrency where nobody knows um, who the recipients are, what the wallets are, anything, and um, and there's anonymity. Bitcoin gives you some of that, gives you a good chunk of that, and the good news is, I I can do business with you, and it's nobody else's business what we're doing, and and that's fine. The problem is, is of course you could be making a transfer because you're involved in human trafficking, drug. Drug selling, um, arms, um, you know, pick the bad thing and you could be doing that and there's nobody to be able to tell that that transfer has taken place um, because of anonymity. At the other end of the spectrum, if we have a CBDC, a central bank digital currency that is solely in the hands of central bank, then every single transaction you do can be known. And the government, if they don't like that transaction or whoever controls that blockchain, can say, you know what, Emmanuel, you look like you're putting on a few pounds. You know what, your, your wallet's not going to allow you to buy dessert. Um, it can get that much control. If you want to go to a place where there's a protest and the people controlling the, the CBDC don't want that, well, it won't work. It won't work for transportation there, or the people who are transporting people there won't be able to have their wallets be uh, accessed. So on the one hand, you have the possibility of total anonymity. On the other hand, you have the possibility of the government literally going the opposite. You you know, as I said, our humanity is, is to some degree grounded in the fact that we can make free and fair exchanges. If the only exchanges I can make are those that are government authorized in the CBDC case, then that's the other end of the spectrum. And that also will essentially uh, deprive us of our humanity. I actually coined a word back in, in that, in, in, I think it was 2012, it caught on a little bit. There were a few people that have written, use this word, but it, I, I called it e-congularity. Whoa. And what <laughs> okay. e means it's a mashup of the word of economic and singularity. The e point comes when the government literally knows every single transaction that you do and can control that real time. That's the danger and risk of CBDC. That's essentially one of the reasons why the digital you want is so attractive if you wanna have complete control. So once you have that sort of that singularity moment where you control people by their economics, then deeply, deeply, you've crossed a border. But once you cross that border, you've gone to a whole new place for humanity and for center for the ability for centralized control. Um, that's a real risk for I think society for for all of us. On the other hand, that's a risk too. On the other hand,
0: of having no control. Well, these your thoughts in two thousand and thirteen, because. Uh, I let you go on and on about how you, how you're describing this as an old fashioned banker. And, you know, because uh, none of your peers were talking this way in 2013 and here you are struggling as a banker um, to embrace this new force that gives the right back to the individual. Uh, And yet you were running an institution that uh, needed to be, um, you know, careful to meet regulatory requirements and so on. So how did you bring this two together? Because Uh, You did have KYC requirements, for example, in in, in your institution. So so how how did you make sure that your own house was in order? At the same time, you were open-minded enough to the new force that you were dealing with. So the first thing is having the right
1: folks interact with the clients, because to a great degree, your marketing is your underwriting. You want to be dealing with the right people. So if you have the right people, if your colleagues are the right people and they have the right values, then they will do the pre-screening of who the folks we can rely on. So we wouldn't have gotten going if we couldn't have brought on Joe Siebert, who leads that area for us in in terms of client contact, um, Sarman Sarian, and David D'Amico. They really formed the bedrock of folks that we could work with and we brought them on board and we end up turning down many more clients than we bring up. The reason that many clients are with us as well is because we're not only taking their deposits, but we're making their life better, easier. So we came up with this concept called Signet and um, as most people know here, uh, it actually came to me that this was a product that really could be helpful to the crypto community. But it also, and we can get to this, can be really important to other ecosystems as well. And we're already discovering that in the power in the power network area, the freight uh, shipping area. But let's start with crypto because the reason I love the crypto people is because they're early adopters. So what we did with Signet is we said okay. We want to be blockchain native. We don't want to staple on some, you know, products that will help these these folks, but we want to build from the blockchain itself. We built off the Ethereum blockchain just that is the is sort of the the Signet uh, raw clay. And we built what we call what I like to call a walled garden. So within this, if you pass through this walled garden and you're a miner, you're an exchange, you're a custodian, you're essentially any of many, many types of of participants, OTC desks, whatever. But you get through our vetting process because you're very right. We have a strenuous KYC AML process because we are an American onshore bank but if you get through that you're going to get into this walled community this gated community and then you get access to signet and signet is a blockchain enabled tool that you can use with other people who are part of this community so that you know they've been vetted too it's actually better than a stable coin but you can work with it just like a stable coin because Signet essentially allows you to transfer if you're on Sunday morning at 3 a.m and you're in Tokyo Tbilisi Timbuktu Tel Aviv and Toronto I can do a trade among all of those people 3 a.m. not using the 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 Fed Swift anything else and it's good funds we are on the pace to do this year, something like $400 billion of transactions. Because people trust the system. We've never had one transaction be reversed because people know it can't be reversed. It's done. It's just like the blockchain. On the other hand, we're standing behind it, watching the digital representation representation of the dollar. And I have to tell you, one of the big—it's interesting. I'm talking to you and an Asian banker because we've had a number of clients from Asia tell us that they actually have been able to redeploy that a lot of their banking team. Because they used to have people have to have people up at this hour of the day in your part of the world doing U.S. banking transactions. Yes. Now they don't have to do that anymore. They the the good funds immediately transfers, and this has been nirvana at a discount for people. I mean, and and the other thing is that makes it far superior to stablecoin is you don't have to wait for delays, you don't have to worry about, um, uh, you know, the fact that miners or someone is taking a little piece. If I send you a thousand dollars, you get a thousand dollars. You don't have there's no there's no nobody taking a cut and also interestingly enough and i didn't totally focus on this at first is that a lot of you know otc exchange large participants like the fact that their trading is behind this walled gate this gated community because people can't watch it from the outside i mean you know you can monitor the chain for any of you know, Bitcoin or Stablecoin. And so people try to pick up hints on other people's trading. But you can't do that because we don't, you know, we really don't allow that to be shared in a sense uh, or in any sense. So once you're within a gated community, you know that, but at the same time, you're in a native community. So everybody's speaking the same blockchain
0: language. Let me now take you through... You know the sure. many facets of Signet, right um number one um a commercial bank and the amount of money that you have spending on technology i, I think uh, from what i see from your balance sheet i, I think you spend about 10 million dollars a year on technology something like that uh, oh 10
1: million we spend a lot more than 10 million
0: but um for a bank of your size um you know you you, you need to be uh, specific in how you spend on technology uh, many banks your size would go out there and buy something out there. I mean, not instead of uh, building it themselves. So the first question is, uh, was SigNet uh, built internally? Um, second question is, is it a on-us uh, platform, uh, meaning that only your uh, your clients can participate in that, and therefore they they pay each other, uh, and it's not you know external to the to, to the non the bank's non clients. Um, and thirdly, there are a number of blockchain, like Ripple, for example, and, 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 and others, uh, who who want to be able to provide that technology to a bank like yours. Is it something that you you decided to build yourself rather than you know subscribe to a vendor that is a, a, available out there? Um, and this whole idea of token uh, now that uh, crypto in general, not just Bitcoin, but you know a whole range of cryptos are you know are being valued up. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, getting um, inherent value. Uh, there's a lot of technology being developed by open source in open source, so you don't have to create it yourself. Um, now, how do you how are you engineering the architecture of Cygnet? uh How much of it is uh, proprietary to you, and how much of it will be growing as the technology becomes available? Um, you know, there's so much happening in crypto right now. Um, and and is Signet a token um, you know uh, as a ripple would be a token in that way first of all let me just say this about Signet what makes
1: Signet a little different is that is a digital representation of a dollar so in stablecoin you have a piece of a pool of money right the money's in whatever it's in at bank we're one of the leading banks involved with the circle consortium in terms of USdc that's You know, public um, where they have their they have a pool of money, and you have one you know zero 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 point zero 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 one percent of that money, and that's what the stable coin represents. What we have is a tad different, and that is actually a digital reputation of this very dollar that I'm putting in the bank. So it's actually a dollar in an FDSE bank account. It's not necessarily insured. It's only insured up to the you know obviously up to the two fifty, but it's actually a deposit at a bank, as opposed to a piece of a pool. Now, I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but they are different. So what you're told, what we've tokenized, if you will, is that actual dollar you put into the to Signature Bank, and that also I think has some attraction for people in that that's their dollar as opposed to a share. In a, in, a, in a greater pool.
0: I would, I would say, oh my goodness, that's the CBDC.
1: <laughs> well, but you're right. See, that's why I wanted to set the spectrum of what we were talking about. But here's the thing. We're not the central bank. We don't actually care what, as long as it's legal, you can buy as much, you can have dessert as many times as you want, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we, as long as it's legal, I don't care if it's fattening.
0: I mean, it's worked that's, well for you. You say you've got $400 billion in transactions. That, that's that's amazing. That's pretty good. Well, we're running at that
1: pace for this year of, of transactions where people are transacting signets between each other. I mean, people, analysts have sort of come up with what we, what we have. We haven't publicly disclosed it, but we have a significant amount. If you look at any of the um, analyst reports, they've sort of confer- con- configured what we had I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you what's public so you can, you know, do the math yourself. But as of the end of last year, we had 10 billion in deposits okay. related to that. In the first quarter, we announced that that had grown another 4.4 billion. So but that but the thing is, those deposits have velocity among themselves because they're being used to settle. Right. That gives people a lot of comfort. And that's what's allowed us to really grow because they get the safety and security of a bank. They get you know, uh, uh, Joe Siebert and Sarman Sarian and, and David Demik and the rest of the team to call, they can actually call up and say, you know, explain this to me. They know that, that the settlements are going to be settled on blockchain. And so there's no, there's, it's very hard to, there's no screw ups that are really evident. And again, we've never had any transaction ever where anybody's tried to reverse anything because they, they know they can. It's on the blockchain. Uh, so all of that is makes it a little bit different than than stablecoin. It makes it a little bit different, and that's that's why I want to answer the last question first um, because you're in a banking environment. Now, let me say this about you know technologies. I'm going to use a U.S. analogy, but I'll use a you know you can apply it to any sport. You know there are nine innings in, in U.S. baseball. And each inning is divided in two. And we're still in the first inning. We're in the beginning of the first inning. That there's a long way to go from a signature bank perspective. I think the best is yet to come in terms of things that we're developing and thinking about. I don't think we've gotten to the end. I think that the technologies, by the way, in the crypto and other worlds, need to to evolve. And I'll give you just one area that people are already talking about. And I think we it's embedded in everything we're thinking of, which is the whole environmental costs of crypto. I don't know. You know, this is something that is certainly on our radar screen. And it's one of the reasons that we designed Signet um, to be a low, a low carbon, carbon oh. impact because, yeah. You know, every day, every hour, there are about 240 million transactions that take place on um, the Visa network, for example. 14,000 can take place on okay. the on Bitcoin in one, you know, in one hour ish. I'm, I'm, I'm rounding both. But frankly, the cost of those 14,000 transactions is probably not much different than 240 million transactions. Right. depending on oh. how they're done. And that's a big problem. That So ultimately, these technologies need to get better because if we ever used Bitcoin for actual, for buying a slice of pizza, we really would be boiling the oceans. You know, that we can't do until we have, you know, clean or nuclear or sun or wind. I mean, I don't know how many wind you'd need to cover the ocean and windmills too to, to, to,
0: to, right. to, to use that, the current technology. Okay. Here's a first inning question, right? The, in the first inning, the first question to ask is: Has that made you uh, has Has that made your back office smaller as a result? Um, you know, in that in that you 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 find that a lot more is done on the blockchain that you don't need a com- a whole compliance team. Uh, has that reduced your your back office? Well, at all. Look,
1: the short answer is no, because the business is growing so fast. Um, there's no question; easier to do things on the blockchain, but We're growing so that our clients, as I told you, are having smaller offices because, as I told you, there's a number of clients in Asia that told us that they have redeployed their people who used to work from midnight to eight or from, you know, 10 to 10 to 4 a.m., and they'd be sending them home. So there's no question that the primary purpose of finance, if you think about it, is to make transactions frictionless and as costless as possible. So. If we can take on some of that burden,
0: it's for the clients. You have about 740 digital currency exchanges as customers. Is that about right? Is that, is that the kind of number?
1: Yeah, we, we're
0: growing almost
1: as fast as we can do it on Signet. They're and all institutional. We only have, by the way, we don't do any retail. So those are all, probably if I, li- I couldn't list them, but the bulk of them would be institutions and OTC. You'd recognize the names in most cases.
0: Do you ever lose sleep that that might be a Mount Gox there somewhere, you know, like in that in that pool of customers in that pool of clients that, you know, if something goes wrong, uh, you know, the regulators will come off, off to you and say, OK, got to do an audit of this whole thing. Um, do you lose sleep over that at all? Well, here's the thing. We're not touching the crypto
1: itself and we're not custodian yeah. for the crypto. We're facilitating the, the payments and if the regulators ever wanted to see where all the payments were coming, I, you know, we're a U.S. You know, uh, regulated bank, so they could always see, as they could anywhere, what's happening. But I want to go back to what I said in the very beginning. We take a minority of accounts that apply to us because we do go through a vetting process that is substantial. So to get into the gated community does require – you to have certain financial wherewithal,s and and you know to be a you know a solid citizen. We don't just take open up an account for anyone who um, you know wants to open an account, and that's important, and that's a differentiator. And frankly, that makes people who are transacting within Signet feel more comfortable because they have gone through a U.S. bank vetting process. That's got its upsides and that's got its downsides. You know, uh, we are who we are. We're a U.S. bank and we're going right.
0: to uphold the standards. So outside of the banking industry, there are a number of, any number of players, you know, trying to provide a Signet equivalent, um, you know, trying to build a community, trying to sell it to specific banks and all that. And a lot of that technology is actually built using open source. Right. In other words, the you know, the whole world can cont- contribute to how it builds. Uh, being a bank is signet proprietary uh, is that something that you're building from the ground up um, you know so when you go to the second inning what's what is it going to look like uh, is there a temptation of it becoming a token you seem to speak like uh, you know if signet becomes a token oh you know it becomes a stable coin in itself uh, is that is that kind of a you know, a dream, a intention. So, look, I we're big, we're big on 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 under
1: promising and over delivering. So, I okay. can't talk about the second inning while we're still in the first inning. Um, we think about how we can help our clients all the time. I just want to leave it at that. Whatever is built is going to be built because it has to meet bank U.S. banking standards. Anything we do and anything that our vendors do and anything that um, uh, uh that is um that that we're involved with because you you've got to everything's got to tie in you know when we do have multiple you know tie-in points so it has to be bank robust um which means i i want to say that in the beginning there were a lot of folks who were coming and saying you know we have this product you know it's plug and play or mm-hmm. it's this and that and the bulk of the The bulk of the issue is that it's there's one level of security and of stability and robustness if you're dealing with non-banks, and then there's a whole nother if you're in the banking community. And so, open source and open open source is good. Look, as I told you, we built it off of the Ethereum um, raw clay. So we're going to do that. We're not we're not going to not use an open source, but on the same token, the way it, it works with, with, with all the other systems. And this, this this is again a three-hour call because once you start to get into systems integration and middleware and APIs, our clients need AP, you need application, you know, program interfaces, how that's done in a way that touches their bank account, plus touches Signet. And once you deal with APIs. You're going to touch other bank systems too. Not even US, not, not US bank systems and our bank system. And so all of this goes beyond just using open. I mean, the short answer is it goes way beyond just taking off open source software and saying, great, let's do this.
0: So have any of your bank clients um, you know, built APIs yet? I mean, is that intention? Is that the second inning? We do have API connectivity with clients today. Okay. It's good.
1: It, and we created a sandbox, for example, because it's so complex and I'm getting into probably into the weeds, but we created what we call a sandbox for people to test on a where it doesn't actually interface with our systems, where it's sort of off network so that they can test their APIs and more and frankly as importantly, we can test their APIs too. And so you have to play in the sandbox for a long for a good for a while. You have to play in that sandbox. The API has to be vetted. It has to work. Once we're, you know, really comfortable, we can attach your API to the system. And then,
0: frankly, that's when the big cost savings happen. This is the first time I heard the word sandbox from an American banker, by the way. It's, it's like it's something that uh, many regulators around the world use. And I and I don't really like that phrase. Uh, but here's a question. Uh, has the New York Fed come around to audit? You know, Signet, and uh, what are some of the questions they ask? Uh, Are they happy with it? Um, You know, is it taking you where you want to go?
1: Well, let me just say this I can't speak to um, our regulators in visiting, but I will say this we have good relationships with our regulators, we keep them informed. I want to give a special shout out to the New York Department of Financial Services because, frankly, we came to them with Signet that had been the first time that anybody, and we're still the only FDIC insured US bank that has a blockchain, 24-hour um, instantaneous um, uh, money transfer system using, you know, using the chain, using blockchain. And they got it. They did a tremendous amount of work to make sure that it, you know, all of those items that I just touched upon with you in terms of in terms of connectivity and touching our systems all worked. Um, they asked a lot of questions. They did a lot of work and they do. And you know we have a a strong and you know an open dialogue and 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 I'm thankful that we that we have a primary regulator who is um who's with it when it comes to um the block it comes to blockchain and cryptocurrencies. When they give a license, for example, to someone else in this arena, it also helps us feel a lot better about working with those clients.
0: Is there a business to lend against crypto? Uh, is there a business to um, you know go into ETFs, into um, derivatives? Um, you know, what else can you do with crypto with your crypto crypto community?
1: Well, first of all, as I said, we're in that very beginning. I'm sorry I keep using that baseball metaphor of U.S. centric. uh, yeah. uh, But we're really in that first inning. And I would say this, that we announced just recently that we are starting a project that we um, are a long way, uh, have been working on for a while to be able to lend to some of our biggest clients and best clients um, in this arena. Um, It would be secured and and the like, and we would be, we would be, we're building this to be a zero loss business. Again, it wouldn't be a retail business. It would be with some of our institutional clients and it would be a zero loss business. It wouldn't be derivative. It would be where we were actually holding or not we, but a custodian was holding the appropriate cryptocurrency and under our control, essentially under our control. Um, And so uh, we, there's a lot, there's further to go, um, but we have announced that and we do plan on, you know, starting to book loans, um, but we're not betting the ranch on it. You know, we're, we're we're still a conservative lender. We're zero loss.
0: You know, we look to be a zero loss uh, lender. Is there a first mover advantage in what you're doing, um, you know, in that you're probably further down the road learning about how to deal with this community of crypto, um, you know, clients? I call them crypto clients, but I mean them in a general way. Because around the world, uh, banks have been um, you know, avoiding, even pro- providing a deposit account, a transaction account to crypto clients. And now mm-hmm. uh, regulators are sort of stepping back a little bit and, and giving them the chance. But you, you are well into that community. You know, There's this thing called the network effect. Do uh, you see them transacting a lot more with each other? Uh, and is that cumulative effect on your business? Well, I definitely see
1: more, more, I, there's no question there's a network effect, you know, as as given the numbers that I told you with the pace that we're running on right now for this year, um, it it builds and builds. I mean, it's a virtuous circle. We are focused on other communities that are going to be important signet uh, users and, who will find people in the cargo shipping business who are delivering shipments on, you know, strange hours or on weekends, but, and want immediate payment? So I give you, I hand you the shipment and you immediately release to me the money. I mean, that removes all the credit risk. That's huge. Going to the big picture. I think the, Folks who were early adopters in the crypto arena saw that there was a serious problem with the way that payments and money and stores of value were being handled. And they crowdsourced. And again, we don't know who this pseudonymous um, Satoshi Nakamoto is, but others were thinking along those same lines, and they adopted it. But but those same thoughts are occurring to other people in other ecosystems. While we're focusing here on the ecosystem, from from at least my perspective, I think it's about rethinking payments, rethinking stores of value. I mean, I I personally feel that Bitcoin has has to date proven itself as a store of value and as like gold and, and the like, you know, uh, in, 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 in certain regards. But as a payment system, I think we are still first batter up, if you will. We're not, we're at the beginning of the first inning because as a payment system, we don't, I mean, having thousands of miners involved in your wanting to buy a, a cup of coffee is not
0: really that efficient. <laughs> And what, it's not good for the, mar- the world and the environment. Was the market rewarding you from October last year to where you are right now on share price? Because, uh, and is that a mirror of what's happening in the crypto market? Do you think that a lot of the you know, upside on your share price has been because of your crypto story? Emmanuel, if there's one thing I've learned,
1: it's I don't comment on our share price. <laughs> We're like the guys in the pitch. You know, The guys or the gals in the pitch playing the game. And you know there are people in the You're stands. Not tell. And they can decide to cheer. They can decide to boo. You know,
0: <laughs> it's, my, Who knows? it's my job to ask this question, right? So, uh, and and I'll ask you the same question. You know, three ways. Uh, I'm curious <laughs> because uh, you know it's uh, it's good to see your share price doing well. But um, you know that correlation with how the crypto market is doing. Um, you know, um, a final area, you know, for the sake of complete completeness. Uh, the U.S. regulatory uh, environment has been changing uh, dramatically under the new uh, re- administration. Uh, you have Gary Gensler you know, going into the SEC. I-, I like the man because I've, I've watched him speak on, on crypto. He seems to be um, you know, very open-minded, but at the same time, like yourself, very uh, focused on what regulators should do. Uh, there's Hester Pierce who actually made some comments last last month uh, or a month ago, um, the, and and uh, and then you have you know the uh, Reddit um, episode with uh, with GameStop and so on. Um, what's happening uh, in your environment uh, that uh, you pay attention to and and you 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 think that um, you know it's a changing world and and that you. That might be opportunities for you, um, you know, uh, or that, it, that the system should be tightened, uh, that retail customers should not be given more access or the opportunity to influence markets the way institutional customers do. And just an overall comment on on what's happening in, in the U.S., this huge battle between, you know, um, decentralized finance and, and uh, traditional banking. 90% of our clients
1: are business clients. So we don't have that. Huge retail segment, and I think what we have is a is a philosophical debate that, frankly, is not um, shaking out by political party or by liberal and conservative. It's it's a it's a fundamental. Do we just say that people should be allowed to trade as they wish to trade, and good luck to them as long as they know what they're doing? And they and you know if they people want to sit in a basement and trade all day, well, they can do that, or do we want to sort of have someone else decide what people should speculate on? I certainly air, I would air heavily towards saying, here's the facts. If you want to, you know, go and risk your money and maybe lose your money, you know, you're a consenting adult and, and, you know, we don't want to tell you what to do in other aspects of your life? And why should we tell you as the government what to do in this aspect of your life? Um, so I think that um, um, uh, there's a lot to that. I think the system did work in the sense that um, uh, the um, despite huge swings in, in pricing, um, the clearinghouses and others stayed solvent, there wasn't really risk of that, um, and so I think is I think that's what the government should be appropriately focusing on um, is you know is that is the safety and stability of the system whereas individuals might make or lose money, and that's really i think again consenting adults if we're not going to try to regulate what adults do in other areas um you know, I'm not sure that we should be limiting them in in with respect to speculating. Even if it makes no sense to me, it takes more than one person to
0: make a market. Scott, this conversation can go on and on because uh, you know I I I can already see it, you know branches in in terms of uh, the areas that we can drill de- deeper into, uh, and I hope to be able to speak with you again in the future. Uh, you know, when when you go to the second inning the third inning, um, and to be honest, uh, what you're building, uh, many banks around the world will be doing the same, um, and I think they'll be paying attention to what you've been learning in the process. Um, uh, you've been able to make that connection with what banking traditionally is, uh, and with your customers or your clients, as you as you call them, uh, and, and and the way they're growing. Uh, you you've kept a very conservative um, balance sheet, uh, and and I think that comes across very clearly to anyone. Uh, who takes a look at your numbers and, uh, um, technology, uh, this, um, uh, signet thing, uh, is, is worth watching. Um, and, uh, we will keep watching and we'll see, you know, if you're going to be calling it a token very soon.
1: Well, Emmanuel, don't forget to recommend that everybody buy my book in good faith, um, That's- which you can get, uh, at quality bookstores or on Amazon, <laughs> or you can go to scottshay.com. Um, I'm always, I'm always up for a shameless plug. And if you don't do it, I guess I'd have to do it myself. Well, you've, you've, been, you've
0: been doing that right through this conversation. So I've just let you speak, you know, and uh, it's very interesting. I mean, calling a book, getting, getting our groove back. It's like, okay, I get you. I get it. So uh, I've already bought your first book. I, I had to buy that because I, I, I wanted to read uh, how you think. And uh, that comes across Good. very clearly. And that's why I started this conversation. Uh, By pointing out with uh, the struggle that you have philosophically in religion, uh, which you also have, um, you know, practically in running uh, a commercial, a a good commercial bank in a changing world. So thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, It helps me to build my own idea of uh, how the industry is evolving. Thank you very much.